Go and get your answer. title this week's Torah portion, I think it'd be something like uh, being bad at being bad. Because uh, basically screwed up, this, this portion, no, no, no. This, actually, it's, it's, a, it's a quality that you should have. Jacob is bad at being bad. Are you talking about when he actually mentioned God's name when he was asked by his father? Let's just say that Jacob oh, is, did so it's fast. ironic that some people have interpreted Jacob's name to mean deceiver because he's actually a lousy liar. Yeah. You, lousy, you lie so bad. But it's not a bad thing. Who, who are you, my son? I, yeah. Yes, he, uh, the hands are the hands of Esau, but the voice is the voice of Jacob. And what he says sounds a whole lot more like Jacob than Esau. If you look at the story, Jacob is the... Uh, I wouldn't say unwitting, but like the unwilling deceiver in the yeah. story. His uh, his experience with Rebecca, he's he's the one who's constantly saying like, he's the one who brings up the objection, right? Oh, but if he finds yeah. out, then, oh, it's gonna go good. Well. Yeah. yeah, and he's not the one coming with solutions either. Um, they call Jacob in this Torah portion an Ish Tom or a perfect man or a pure man, um, and in the uh, the Rashi commentary. They say this references the fact that he was very bad at lying. He was not a deceiver. He was a very straightforward man. He said things truthfully. He didn't like to tell lies. And they contrast that with Esau. Esau is a hunter. And they say this not only referred to his physical actions of going out and catching animals, but also in that he would entrap men and women with his words. He would lie to them. He would deceive them. He apparently was very good at deceiving Isaac, who has no idea what kind of idolatrous pagan his son has turned into. Because he saw, according to tradition, would say things like, now how much do we tie these spices? You know, is it, is it this much or that much? And Isaac would think, oh, I have a righteous son. He's so concerned about the details. But Esau wasn't really that way. Um, Jacob, on the other hand, he was. He was honestly good. And, and, and this is the same portion where Rashi and the commentators are talking about the fact that Isaac, his father, is a perfect sacrifice. Right, right. So you've got a perfect sacrifice yielding to a perfect man. Right. And Esau's odd man out. Well, and Jacob, and being so good, I think the reason why I said you could title this Torah portion being bad at being bad, um, Isaac's also pretty bad. He's not that great of a liar. He, uh, He's like... Rebecca, my sister, and then yeah. like Abimelech like, finds him making out later, and it's like, mm, that's not your sister. Um, that's exactly what. Uh, that's exactly. But, but Jacob has a similar problem, and it's not a problem; it's a good thing. Paul tells us to be that we should be. Uh, uh, the idea is that we should be innocent with regards to evil. Don't be. Don't be. Don't be good at doing bad. The reason why people are bad liars is they're not practiced. They don't have a whole lot of good opportunity. So because you tell, if you tell the truth regularly, you make a habit of telling the truth, you will be a very bad liar. This is a good thing. Amen. Jacob is a bad liar because he tries to tell the truth most of the time. You even see in the, uh, in the future Torah portions, um, Jacob tries to, uh, he runs away from Laban. That doesn't work too well. Um, his, his version of deceiving is just, let's not talk about it. I mean, straight throughout his life, Jacob... Um, makes mistakes, but I would say most of the time, deception is not one of them. When he gets the birthright from Esau, he does not trick Esau. <coughs> Instead, 
uh, you should I flash you this weekend's podcast. It was so cool. He said what he does is he <laughs> good catch. What he does is he uses Esau's weakness against him. But twice he tells Esau, swear to me at this day. He does this is not a sneak attack. He's not trying to trick him. He simply recognizes Esau is desperate. Desperate men do desperate things. <laughs> I want this. If you would like to have my suit, I want your birthright. Esau, because he's very short-sighted, says fine. Or despises. What despises good is it birthright. to me if I'm dead? Um, right. Because uh, I'm dying. Makes a lousy argument. How dramatic. Jacob. But, <laughs> yeah, right, exactly right. right. Well, I'm gonna die! <laughs> but Jacob, see, the thing about Jacob is so great there in my mind is he, 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 trick, he doesn't trick Esau. He simply uses Esau's weakness against him. And actually, Yishai Fleischer said, it's kind of like the snake in the garden. You know, he goes and he finds a food item and kind of convinces Eve to go for it, and she finds her weak spot. And so that was so interesting because, like, Jacob, as you quoted earlier, it's like Yeshua said, be cunning as serpents but innocent as doves. Jacob is the innocent man. He doesn't lie. He's not a man of the world like Esau. But in this case, he knows what he wants, and he finds a way to get it within the borders of the rules. Yeah. I think that was but, I think that was really cool. But you know, uh, your your dad was kidding, but he he was spot on. When you get up to read the Torah portion, and he got to that line there, Lying. where Esau says to his father, "He stole my birthright, and now he stole my blessing." What a liar! The fact that he stole the birthright is fake news. Right? He didn't. Absolutely. He gave him an opportunity, and he gave it away. In fact, Esau, uh, the Rashi says on that text that at that moment, that's when the light bulb goes off in Isaac's mind, and he goes, oh, Jacob was supposed to get the blessing because he deserved the birthright. He had obtained the birthright. Um, so, I, uh, but anyway, so I, th th as you read through Jacob's life, he's not, a, he's not always doing the right thing. He makes mistakes. But one of the things I love about Jacob is I do feel like he is, he's trying. He, he, he's, he's, he's innocent in so many ways. He's innocent towards the world. Um, and sometimes it gets him in trouble, but sometimes, but most of the time it's, it's a no thing. And in addition, I also think they say that um, Yishai Fleischer talking about this podcast contrasted Jacob with Esau in terms of their names. So Esau's name me, uh, comes from the, word, a root, the same root as the word osei or make. In Hebrew, Esav is the idea of like being, according to uh, Rabbi uh, Mike Foyer, is the idea of being complete. He's made. He's done. It's like you came out of the womb, and it's like he's already a man. We can just stop now. He's already got hair all over his body. Right. He's got hair on his body. He looks mature. He's already an adult. So what's amazing, if, uh, the thing is, Rabbi Foyer says it's not a good thing. He can't grow. He's, he reached his peak potential already as an infant. This is the person, <laughs> the person that he is. Downhill from there. Right? <laughs> but, but, but in terms of his you know, spirituality, his maturity, and so forth, he's not going to change. He's the same guy always. Jacob, on the other hand, is constantly growing. His name changes. He, ha he convinces uh, the, uh, God to bless him, or the angel to bless him. He, um, he's, const he's, got, he's constantly pursuing more. He's always trying to improve. That's different from Esau. Esau... Plateaus immediately and stops. Yes, sir. Esau strikes me as the man that we hear about in the modern news who wins the lottery, unbelievable amounts of money, and a year later is destitute. Right. Uh, and and tradition holds that he's returning from the field. He's actually he's he's found Nimrod and he's actually recovered the garment from the Garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. And so this is why like. <laughs> My birthright? Who cares about that? You know, his exaggeration, I'm dying, is indication of how callous and how utterly devoid of understanding he is and the importance of birthright. Mm -hmm. And and just doesn't care. Because he's he won the lottery, man. He's got everything. And they uh, they say, if you look at the Hebrew, and you, you can read it in English too, it says, ate, he drank, he rose up, he left. And it's, it's, it's really factual. It's very, very straightforward. If you look at the Hebrew, it's, it's something like, you know, it's all these little vavs, you know, it's like da 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 um, And the idea is that it shows his absolute callousness to the whole experience. Callous. He does it, he gives away his birthright, and he proceeds to then just, you know, chug what he was given to drink. He devours what he was given to eat, and he gets up and walks away. It's like it didn't even, didn't even phase him. And that's why the book of Hebrews references Esau. Because when it talks about immorality, 
It says, don't, don't be a man like Esau, a man of immorality, who sold his birthright for a meal. And the idea being, this is what happens when, when, uh, when men, in particular, do stupid things with women, because oftentimes what it is, is they completely lose the big picture. All they think about is, I want this right now, and Flesh nothing else matters. And it's exactly where Esau is. He wants that food, and nothing else matters. It doesn't matter that it's gonna give, he's going to give up the most important thing in his life as a firstborn. It doesn't matter that um, you know in that moment there might have been other options. He wants that, and that's it, and that's all he can think about. And that's why the book of Hebrews says, don't be that guy. Because be, be circumspect. Think about the big picture. Think about what's really important. Because if you do that, then you'll realize that the thing that you want now in sin isn't worth it. Yes, sir? If, if you think about it, <clears throat> he was dissatisfied and he was looking for something. Hmm. So he got what he desired, therefore he would be satisfied. So we notice two things then. First, as you pointed out, the Hebrew is very clear. He ate, he drank, and he got up on He ate, he drank, and he was satisfied, but he didn't bless God. Hmm. He ate, he drank, he was satisfied got what he wanted, we can assume then he was happy. And now he fits the proverb that eats, drinks, and be merry. Wow. <laughs> it's a perfect picture of evil, or a perfect picture of someone who's bereft of any relationship with God. Right. Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die. I mean, there's, it doesn't there's even matter to this. I was about to die now, but you gave me the stew, so, you know. <laughs> I, got, I got at least another day. That's I good. got a day. You give me a day. You know when they say he was a cunning hunter? Mm -hmm. um, I read a commentary a few uh, months ago that said that he also hunted men. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And I think that he's, he's, he's a trickster. Yeah. Um, they also say that he committed immorality. He wasn't one of, a man of immorality because that's one, one of the reasons why um, they talk about him being a man of the field. They pull that reference from a couple places in the Torah. It talks about fields. One is um, like killing someone in a field, and one is doing something with a woman in a field that's inappropriate. Um, so he basically he's portrayed as in a, in, as a as as this immoral, violent man. He he is really in many ways the, the epitome of evil. And I think it's so fitting. Then I've heard this, and I can't remember where I heard it. Unfortunately, that his name becomes Edom. He's named. His nickname is. The food that he ate. It'd be like you know if you yeah. went if you went out to uh, to a, to a restaurant and ate way too much, and they said eh, that guy we're gonna just call him hamburger from now on because I mean whoa, <laughs> burger <you know>. Bob, <laughs> right? And that's basically what Esau's name becomes. He becomes Edom, red stuff, and uh, and that becomes not only his name but the name of his whole nation. He passes down this idea traditionally. Edom, the the Edomites move up from Mount Seir, an area where they're, they're exiled or something to that effect. They move north up into the area of like Lebanon, Tyre, area north of Israel. And then they go across the Mediterranean to parts of Greece and particularly Italy. So according to tradition, Esau's descendants become Rome. Wow. What a huge. perfectly fitting... Um, I love Italians. <laughs> but if there's one thing you can say about the Romans, they knew how to have a good time. I mean, they practically invented ways to do as much fun as possible until they were literally throwing up because it's like that, you know, they just wanted to it make them, their lives all about pleasure. And so it's not surprising if that is, in fact, true that they're from Esau, that they carried that trait from him where it's like all that mattered was right now. And that's what Rabbi Moikpoyer was saying. He's like, Esau's name means he's finished. He doesn't care about the future. Future is irrelevant. What do I need right now? But as you brought up, it wasn't enough that he was evil but, and lived and portrayed himself as evil, but he made himself out to be good and he deceived others. Mm -hmm. when, his, when his father sends Jacob away, because like, he doesn't want him to marry, he, he marries a daughter of Ishmael so that he can look like he's righteous. Oh, look how good I am. I have a good wife too. You know, it's like, right. right, he's sneaky. In fact, actually the sages had this really like weird but kind of really cool and fitting story and since there's no small children in this room I can tell this story um, so there's maybe a I'm here yeah, there's a tradition that Esau meets the twelve sons of Jacob at the tomb of Machpelah when after Jacob dies so the sons are bringing his, his body to bury him he meets them there and he tells them look I'm the firstborn son here 
I own this tomb. I deserve to be buried here, not Jacob. So one of the, the sons of Jacob, Naphtali, whose name has to do with like running deer, right? So he, he races back, or his, uh, his, his tradition is running deer. He races back to Egypt to go get the, the deed to prove that Jacob lives here. In the meantime, the son of Dan, who according to tradition is deaf, is watching the sons, his, his uncles argue with Esau. And they're going back and forth and back and forth. And, you know, he knows something's ups- upsetting. He does things wrong. And he, he knows that Esau is, 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 is dishonoring his, gra- his dead grandfather. And the poor little guy. He just he can't take it anymore. So he grabs like a big stick and just nails Esau in the head. And according to tradition, he knocked his head clean off and his head rolled into the cave of Machpelah. Mm-hmm. Now that sounds really violent and weird. The reason why this is a cool story, why I'm telling you, the sages say... The only part of Esau that was righteous was his head. He knew everything you were supposed to do, but he didn't do it. So the only part of him that gets buried in Machpelah is his head. And the reason, so the reason why I tell that story is because this is such a good example. I think throughout the scriptures, when we talk about people who are, um, who who have not been changed in their life, they know the truth. The the the, the apostolic scriptures paint this person as the most dangerous. They talk about Bilam. They talk about you know the, the the fool going back to his sin, you know like the pig goes back to the mud, or the dog goes back to his vomit. The idea being that you um, these these people they look good. Yeshua says, and you know them by their fruits. Beware of these wolves in sheep's clothing, right? Kind of like Esau. He's a. Uh, it's ironic that in order to pretend to be Esau, Jacob has to put on sheep's clothing. I mean, the point is, <laughs> the point is that um, Esau is the epitome of a man who pretends to be good, but his heart is evil. Mm. And Jacob pretends to be evil. <laughs> he has to in order to get the... He's the really muscle. not very good at it. He's not very good at it, which he is beautiful. He didn't want to, but he, yeah. I think, and that's what I'm saying. I think that's so cool that he's... That way. Yushai Fletcher points out that it's interesting that um, that Isaac kind of realizes here that uh, that Jacob has, in a weird way, stepped up. I mean, it may have been morally questionable, lying and deceiving his father, but... He, he did what he needs to do to get what he wanted. It's almost like Isaac finds that at some level impressive. You know, again, motive being good, perhaps, anyway. So um, that it's like, oh, okay. So Esau, he's always liked Esau, right? Esau's a man in the field. He's a man's man. And it's like, oh, okay. So Jacob can hold his own. But I would argue with one point you just said. He did what he had to to get what his mother wanted. His mother. There's no evidence that it's what Jacob, I mean, surely he wanted it, but it, it never says that. He was obedient to his mother and did it. He even questioned, hey, I'm going to be in deep doo-doo here if this doesn't work out right. And she's like, well, if that happens, then your curse be on my head. So he's, to your earlier point, he's completely innocent in this deal. Mm-hmm. And he's going along because he's obedient to one of his parents. And tradition holds that he uh, he doesn't even really lie. If you look at the Hebrew, it's a little ambiguous. It's kind of like instead of saying "I am Esau, your firstborn," you can read it as "Who are you? It's me. <clears throat> Esau is your firstborn." You know, like I heard Esau, I heard firstborn. I think that's who he is. Apparently, Isaac's a little hard of hearing as well as blind, but um, but in Hebrew, like es- like you, there's no word for "is." So if you were to say "Esau, you were firstborn." It's the same thing as saying Esau is your firstborn. So the point that they're trying to get at is that I, what Jacob says is technically true, even though he's saying it in a way to trick his father. Morgan. I, just reading it this year, um, it seemed like there was at least three times that Isaac was asking, who, who is are it? You? <laughs> so wouldn't we say that he knew? Doesn't it seem like mm-hmm. he knew that it wasn't Esau? Well, great point. Or do we think that... I think at the beginning he suspects it strongly, but the the hair and the smell and all that stuff so like he thinks it's Esau at first. But what's amazing and Rashi points this out is that when Esau comes in and says, "Ah, oh, he took my blood," and it's it, it wasn't me. Isaac, the light bulb goes off and he goes, "Someone came here. I ate their food and I blessed them." And then it says, "And he will be blessed." So Rashi says this is the, the scriptural proof that Isaac intentionally blessed Jacob. Even though Jacob may have tricked him to get the blessing initially, Isaac affirms it as being valid. Isaac does not retract it. Isaac says, no, and he will be blessed. 
And so that idea is that Jacob didn't really steal it. Jacob may have tricked his father at first, but Isaac willingly gave it in the end. That's a good point. So, so the image, read, reading the commentaries, the biggest question is, if Yitzhak was the perfect sacrifice, he never left the land, he was, you know, the whole deal. Only and, married one woman. Right, and he's, he's the a picture in the Akedah, right, of, of the sacrifice of the father's only son and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, how, how is it possible? How is it possible that he would want to bless the wrong guy? How is that possible? And they go back and forth and back and forth, and they give him a buy. Mm -hmm. And then, to your point, when Jacob is convinced by his mother to come in, and a little bit of subterfuge there to fake him out, he's given the buy because he blesses as he said he would. Yes, he did tell his wife he would. And he blessed him. And then he didn't take it back. Right. And to your point, when when Esau comes in, he realizes. And in fact, the uh, the Gutnik goes into uh, the the whole deal of of him doing the blessing. If Yitzhak knew that Asab doesn't mention God's name regularly, then why did he want to bless Asab and not Yaakov? If the guy acts wickedly, if he doesn't mention God's name, why would he want to do this? And they give him the bye. He wanted to bless his firstborn. He wanted to do what was right. And he realizes it was in Jesus. In the same way, I think you pointed out earlier, that the serpent ingeniously tricked Adam, this man, ingeniously, through his mother's work, tricked him. Mm -hmm. And he, he's like, I got it. And, he's, and, he's, and he blesses him and doesn't take it back. Well, th this also, Torah tradition, is like the light bulb moment for, for Isaac to recognize who Esau really is. That's when I talk about him being a hunter. Yeah. They say that he tricked his father throughout his entire lifetime to convince him he was righteous when he was not. Isaac has no idea most of what he's doing is that's wrong. He's not really noticing. He knows he married some really lousy women, but that's about the only thing that Isaac's figured out so far. They say that when Esau walked in and told him, I'm Esau, your firstborn, says Isaac shuddered. The Rashi text, that there's a Midrash that says that he is like he... He felt like the ground open and could smell the fires of hell kind of thing. So it's like, it's almost like if you, in that movie or that TV show where, you know, there's the villain and the villain has been kind of sneaky. You're not really sure if he's the bad guy or not. You haven't really figured it out. And then he says or does something and it's like, there's this flashback moment. And it's like, well, the only way you'd know that is if you had killed so-and-so. And it's like, oh, you're the bad guy. You know, that, that whole And then you hear the music. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly, that, so this, that's what happens with tradition basically here. Is it's like the light bulb goes off for Isaac. It's like, wait a minute. All this time, I thought you were a pretty good guy. And all I've just suddenly realized you're not. And so that's where he said they give Isaac the buy. They feel like, and plus also they say that Isaac kind of recognizes his son's weakness but he hopes that the blessing will enable him to become better. Right. His vision is that Esau, who's kind of a man of the world, would have the blessings of the world and could use the world to serve God. And then he believes that Jacob, who's a man of spiritual things, will take it naturally. And he'll kind of, it's almost like the, um, it's almost like the, the, the balance between um, uh, Issachar and uh, Asher, I think the two. Anyway, where one, one tribe is traditionally all about Torah study, and the other tribe oh, is like yeah. the merchants. And the idea is the merchants would help support the Torah scholars, yeah. and the Torah scholars would spend their time studying. So it's like, basically, there's both. this symbiotic relationship. You have to have both. So Jacob's, or Isaac's mind is they'll have both. I, Esau will be the man of the world. He'll take care of the worldly things. I, Jacob will be the man of the spiritual world, and it'll work, they'll work out together. Unfortunately, Esau doesn't even have that. And so he is not worthy of the blessing. So if you notice, the blessing that Jacob does, end, or Isaac does end up giving Esau, is very worldly. In fact, the, the sages, Rashi, points out, it's so, it's so brilliant. The blessing's actually a good blessing. Mm -hmm. It's not a bad blessing. But it's a blessing of ease. It's a blessing that, yeah, the world's just going to be good for you. It's going to just work out. You'll win the lottery again. You'll win the lottery. And you know what? You won't learn anything. You'll just get what you want, 
and that's all it's ever going to be. You're going to live in this world, and that's the end of it. And, and it's ironic that at that moment, Esau's not okay with that. I just think it's interesting that the blessing that Isaac gave echoes the promise given to Rebecca. Mm-hmm. And, yes. Mm-hmm. you know, that the, the older shall serve the younger. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even if Isaac was trying to do what seemed to be the right thing, once the words were out of his mouth, Being it's like... Can't take them back. It's like God reaffirms to him, no, this is what I promised. Mm-hmm. This is what I told you. This is the real deal. This is what I have planned from the mm-hmm. beginning. And, you know, it's kind of like one of those things you forget something and all of a sudden something jogs your memory and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I forgot mm-hmm. about that. So, yeah, I think it was a, an affirmation to Isaac yeah. that, that I, this is exactly what I had planned. And so he knew that it was right, whether it felt wrong at the moment or not. Right, right. That's cool. Um, that's funny you just mentioned that because that's exactly where I was going. But mine is with the answer to that question. Um, Extra biblical texts say Rebecca never told Isaac. Right, right. That was a prophecy. Yeah. And that she purposely was trying to, I mean, she didn't want to tell him because he might otherwise try and change it for whatever reason because of the elder being that. But she goaded that prophecy into existence. Mm-hmm. But um, he was completely ignorant of it. And that. From the very beginning, she was, in a sense, trying to manipulate it, too, so that it happened. Becca's an interesting woman. Um, is she is, uh, Yishai Fleischer loves her, talks about, like, she is She is a go-getter. She know, she, there's no fluff to Rebecca. She knows exactly what she wants. She knows exactly what's right or true. She just does it. When they mm-hmm. ask her, will you go with this man all the way to a foreign land with, and leave all your family behind? Mm-hmm. She doesn't go, I think it's a good idea. I, I, I want to go. She just says, I'm going. Period. In fact, it's one word in Hebrew. So the, the, I like so like she's she's just that's who she is. She is a straight shooter. She is iron. She doesn't change, and it's exactly how you see in the story. I mean, she knows exactly what the prophecy said. She knows exa- even even when she finds out the prophecy, right? So she has a problem. She doesn't go. What it's going on? I wonder. Let me see. What are some options? I could talk to my midwife. I could talk to my husband. I, she's like, no, I'm gonna talk to God. I gotta find out. Gotta know right now. Or, uh, and or Shem. Right. Traditionally, she goes to the uh, the uh, Academy of Shem. Where, Which like, is the, where she's then censoring. Son. Yeah, there's a really, really cool midrash. If you if you haven't read the Chabad text, I've, I have heard that Jacob, after he flees Esau, goes and st- studies Torah at the Academy of Shem. Because this Shem is his Noah's son, right? So um, traditionally he is like the... First he's not but traditionally he is the one who's, who's passing on the lineage, the heritage of God, who God, the real God is, down the line, this is how Abraham knows, this is, or not how Abraham knows, but this is like a reinforcement to Abraham and ultimately to his sons. Um, Jacob goes to the Academy of Shem, tradition, for 18 years, I believe. And it's interesting because in the, uh, I've always thought, that's eh, come on, the Torah doesn't say that, and maybe it's kind of cool, whatever, but I mean, it's like they're stretching it. The guy does the math. It's amazing. He's like, well, we know that Jacob, Isaac is, you know, Ishmael is this old when he does this. And when he dies, he's this old. And we know that when this happens, he's this old. Of course, we know that Ishmael is so many years older than Isaac. And of course, Isaac dies at this age. And therefore, you know, Jacob is this old. And this is how old Jacob is. And of course, when Joseph meets Jacob later on, Jacob mm-hmm. tells Pharaoh, I'm X number of years. And if you take out the number of amount of time that Joseph was in Egypt, you take out the amount of time that, that Joseph was born until he, uh, then you back up another couple of years and you're left with an 18 year gap. And it's like, Oh, that was cool. I was very impressed with that. It's like three paragraphs. It was very nice. Um, Could be Elijah. I didn't know he used the bell, but, you know, we're going to do what we can. We, we shouldn't have left the door locked. Otherwise, he just walk in. No, that was the mailman telling me that he was very sorry for what happened to the men in the synagogue. Oh, oh. oh. that was very nice. And he brought tea for all of us. <laughs> I thought actually that's uh, something you mentioned that um, I just want to point out the fact that there are multiple men in this room who are armed. Mm-hmm. Um, By accident, always. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's good. It's good for that. Um, yes, sir. You have, you have a comment. 
We can transition out of Jacob and Esau. Oh, oh. are we going to talk about Isaac at some point here? At some point. Yeah. Well, we can do that now. No, please. Okay. Well, I was going to, we were going to move on to uh, the wells. We can go to the wells, absolutely. That's so, right. so the wells, you know, yes. and, and the reason Mr. I bring Holmes up the not wells here, is because so Mr. Holmes is not here. Yeah. God bless him. I love him. Anyway, the wells, obviously, we just are automatically drawn to Messiah every time we talk about wells. And we understand the wells. And ironically, that's actually where tradition doesn't necessarily negate the wells, the three wells that are mentioned that Isaac, that he digs. I mean, who names wells? Isaac names wells. And he names them in such a way that alludes to the holy temple, long before it's ever built, long before it's ever destroyed, three times. And not only that, he alludes, the last one alludes to the final temple. So the names of the, the, names of the wells are... Um, uh, are indicative of the things that actually occur associated with each of the of the temples. Argument first, and then uh, which is esek, and then sitna, which is harassment. And we actually Edom is the one harasses the Jews as they're leaving, uh, um, which is the you know as they're leading in the destruction of the first temple, uh, and which we find in Revelation and then also in the prophets talking about why Edom is. Is subject to such wrath of Messiah because they mocked, uh, because they mocked Israel and harassed them as they were leaving. And then the last one, of course, is spacious, uh, rechavot. So spacious in the sense, uh, which is also from the prophets, where it talks about that the uh, the temple grounds will be so big that the whole land will be holy. Wow. Yeah, that's very cool. Very so what good. are the three? Three the three wells. Isaac digs three wells, and he names them. Because he gets kicked out. So the yeah. Philistines of Gerar come and they move him out of the first one. And then they come and they, he digs a new one. And they come out and they say, yeah, this is ours too. So he leaves again. Which fits the, the temple model. Because the first temple is destroyed. The second temple is destroyed. But the third temple lasts forever. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Like he got it from his father. He, he did. Yeah, they're they're Abraham. Abraham, these are the same wells that Abraham had. So this well, is he the... Named them also. That's right. Right. So, so to your point, they, uh, he, he leaves. They, they ask him to leave. You know, you've, you've grown too powerful for us and just, you know, move on. Um, but in chapter 26 and verse 26, Avimelech went to him. He went to Isaac from Gerar with a group of his companions, which the commentary, the sages say, were probably the shepherds that filled in the wells. Oops. And... Pecol, his army general. Yitzhak said to them, why have you come to me? If you hate me and you sent me away from you, why, why, what are you doing here? I love Isaac. And they're like, well... Yeah. Since you left. <laughs> yeah. It hadn't gone so well since you left. The sages say that the text doesn't, you know, kind of implies it. But, you know, it's like it, those wells dried up and uh, it's, not, it's not doing too well. So we want to make a covenant with you like we did with your dad. And this, the man, the sages jump on this and go, Yitzhak is just like Messiah. They come to Yitzhak as they will come to Messiah. We see in the end, in the days of Messiah, the nations, the Gentiles, like Abimelech and his friends and people, will come in. So, not just kings, but regular people. There's three groups, right? So you got Abimelech. His friends or companions, and Pekol, the, the army general. Mm-hmm. So you've got the king, you've got the regular people, and you've got the military. Mm-hmm. All three are going to go up. All three went up to Yitzhak, the, the perfect representation of Messiah, and they're all three are going to go up to Israel in the days of Messiah. Or, or they won't get any rain, mm-hmm. which is water, which is back to the wells, right. which, you know, it's like. Wow. Nice. I like it. And we actually can see it today. It's like Gaza. Gaza's like oh, a I desert. Know. I mean, a literal desert. Unbelievable. There's nothing. Yeah. You know, from the water all the way to the desert, it's still it's desert. It's desert. Jews move in, turn it into a garden. Every every, <laughs> every flower, every fruit that Europe yeah. wants, they're going to buy it from Gaza. Europe was buying The Jews leave, and now it's a it's desert. It's a desert again. Yeah. In fact, even more amazing is that Gerar is Gaza. That's right. This is the exact oh, same part of the land. Same place. Yeah. It's the same place. Oh, yeah. It's the place. exact same place. Same place. And, uh, but what's beautiful about the story you gave, I think Isaac here captures the perfect spirit 
of a peacemaker in this story sure. because he, 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 taking from his father who told Lot, hey, you go this way, I'll go that way, we don't want to fight anymore. He moves on to conflict. He doesn't seek it. He doesn't try to find it. He's like, I, I, I can leave. I'll leave. Fine. But what's amazing about Isaac is he doesn't lie about it either. When Abimelech comes to him, he tells us straight like it is, look, come on, look, you, you, you got a problem with me, why are you even here? But the nice thing about it is, that isn't the end of the story. Isaac doesn't go, well, you know, you don't like me, so, you know, get the, out of Do my, me. you know, get out of Do me, me. Get, leave me alone. Instead, when Abimelech says, oh, look, 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 come on, we're really friends, we're really friends, right? I want to, yeah, we've seen God's with you, let's make a covenant. Isaac says, okay, fine. Spend the night. I'll make you a really great breakfast. Have a covenant, and you can be on your way. So Isaac, to me, is the perfect picture of how to deal with uh, with real conflict. Yeah. He he is honest with his with the person he's in conflict with. He doesn't lie to them. He doesn't pretend that everything's okay. Right. At the same time, he seeks peace. Always seeks peace. He doesn't seek argument. He doesn't seek conflict. He's not trying to make a point. He doesn't have to win. He wants peace more than anything else. And I think that that marriage, that, uh, that honesty married with that desire for peace, is something that's very, very difficult to find in this world. Very few people are able to do those two things at the same time. Isaac does it. And I think that you see that, um, you see that spirit, even maybe not always the perfect practice of it, in Jacob. I believe he's very similar. He's trying to make peace. He's trying to make things be smooth and okay. Sometimes he lacks Isaac's strength. And that's where he gets himself in trouble. Mm. But that same desire to not have unnecessary conflict, God gives Aaron, a, we read about Malachi this week, God gives the Aaronic priesthood this eternal covenant of peace, um, and Aaron is known as the peacemaker. Amen. That's who Aaron was. Peacemaking between men is a really big mitzvah, and Isaac, I think, really captures that picture um, and does it the right way. And I think that's really neat. Amen. Another contrast between Isaac and his son Esau also happens in this story. I just noticed that literally today as we were reading, verse uh, 25, verse 33, or 34, excuse me, Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank, got up and left. Thus Esau spurned his birthright. So that whole story, Esau comes in, as we said earlier, he's famished, he's tired, whatever. He says, I'm going to die, and give me something to eat. And he, verse 34, he eats. Verse 31, or verse 1 of chapter 26 says, there was a famine in the land. So we go from, oh, I'm really hungry, I think I'm going to die, to actually there's no food and people are going to die. <laughs> so you have this, this, this hunger parallel between Esau's hunger and really you could say Isaac's hunger, right? His family. But how does Esau handle it? I need that right now. Oh, yeah, you can have whatever you want. I just want that. Just Yeah, I, you can take the birthright. I, I need this too. Um, Isaac, on the other hand, he's marching his way to Egypt. Egypt's the place to go during the famine. He knows that. God says, let's not go to Egypt this time. I want you to stay here. I promise to give you this. Isaac does. Isaac wants the promises. Instead of spurning his birthright, he's claiming it in the midst of a real famine, in the midst of real hunger. And he says, no, you know what? God's going to promise me to give me this, and I'm going to take his promises for, for uh, seriously, and I'm going to cling to those even when it doesn't make practical sense. Esau is the opposite. Esau says, it doesn't make any sense to stay here. It doesn't make any sense to just wait or find something else to eat. No, there's soup right there, and I want it now, and you can have whatever you want. I'll give up all the promises in the future. I'll give up all the things that I you know, can have later. I want this now. Isaac says, I will risk everything for now to have what you promised to get later. And I think it's a really cool picture because um, throughout the scriptures is this idea that we want, we want the promises of God. Yeah. But the promises of God require us to wait. You know, that's what Paul says. Hope not, uh, uh, you know, is not seeing things. That's not hope. You hope for what you don't see. You have faith for what you haven't experienced. So we put our faith in God, the Messiah, the Messiah is coming back. Messiah is going to reward us. When we get to the end of our lives, God's going to reward us for the right and the wrong we do, even though we don't see it now. So we set aside our appetite for now because of that promise. And that's exactly what Isaac does here. That, that, that contrast to Esau. When we're raising children, it's the thing that we want for our children. Because right. children yeah. simply want what they want. They don't, they don't have a concept of uh, 
foregoing something now in order to have something later. Right, so right. Maturity, the essence of maturity is to wait. Right. Is, is to, to be assured that by waiting, we will achieve what we, what we okay. ultimately desire. That is right. the essence right. of maturity. It's what we see when we raise children. The world sees it. The world sees that babies are... are uh, instant gratification. Always want the instant, and that the wise person is willing to lay up, like the grasshopper lays up for the winter time. You know, we, the wise person is a, uh, uh, the ant lays up for the winter, not the grasshopper. Um, it, the essence of maturity is to be is to be willing to put off what you could have today in order to have something tomorrow. Right, and that's that's what Jacob does, and it's the opposite of Esau. Right, and that's what, that's what Isaac does. That same mentality, and you get that um, Dr. Jordan Peterson in his in his book. Uh, that you gave us. I can't remember the name of it right now. Though. 12, 12, 12 Rules for Life. 12 Rules for Life. One of the rules is sacrifice. And the whole point of that entire chapter is this issue. He says, humankind, at some point in their history, is really obsessed with the now. It's like, I gotta kill something and eat it now because we're gonna die, right? But the, at some point in, in human history, I would say, he's, he doesn't necessarily see the scriptures as, as true, so I would, say, I would say almost immediately in human history, Adam. Adam sounds like a good place to start. Um, there's this light bulb goes off and they start offering sacrifices. And the idea behind sacrifice is exactly what Dad's talking about. I will give up something now because there's a promise of something better later. So the whole idea, even in pagan societies, of, an, of a sacrifice is I'll burn up some of my food now and hope that you know whatever God I'm giving it to will send more rain and I'll have more food later. This, unfortunately, doesn't always work out for the pagan. You know? <laughs> Never knows. <laughs> uh, sometimes God is a, has a weird sense of, uh, a good sense of mercy and, and lets the pagan confuse himself. But the point that I'm saying is that, the real God, uh, the point is that uh, it is not really the way that the world works with regards to that. But what the, the way the world does work is when you give up something now for something future, that almost always is better. But it's hard. But it always is with God. That's the true right. essence of not just a maturity, but an essence of knowing God. So it's real spiritual maturity knowing that if it's promised, it will be given. And that's the mm -hmm. that's the base right. the baseline theology of the Pharisees was that God is the rewarder of those both those who sin against Him will be punished, and those who right. serve Him will receive a reward. Absolutely. Um, tell me if I'm thinking right. Um, Isaac was like a prototype or precursor for Jesus, Yeshua. Mm -hmm. So with with him honoring. Um, Jacob with the birthright, the first birthright. Isn't that Israel? And those, oh yeah, those it is that sure. cross over. Jacob's name is changed, changed to Israel. To Israel. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Jacob is a Jacob is in so many ways a a, a symbol archetype. for the nation of Israel, an archetype of, of Israel. Because when you get that over and over again, he's the one who goes into exile. Ironically enough. The long exile that Jacob goes into is because of Esau. Well, according to tradition, if Esau is Rome today, mm -hmm. the current exile is called the Roman exile because the Romans exiled Israel from the land of Israel. Um, so that picture of Jacob, and then Jacob comes back into the land, he has to confront Esau. Um, it's interesting that uh, that's kind of what Yeshua, Messiah, is going to do when he comes back. His, number, his, top, his top target at the very beginning, that's Edom. Who's this guy coming up with garments that are splattered with blood from from Edom. Bozra is in Edom. So it's this idea that he's he's going to pour out wrath and judgment on uh, on Esau and his people on the on the Edomites because they have mm -hmm. so tortured his his people throughout throughout history. Um, speaking of torturing people, I think it's interesting that um, no I'm serious here. Uh, the anti Semitism we talked about earlier, the 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 awful, horrific, terrible man oh, who shot up the synagogue. That spirit is in this portion multiple times. Yes, it is. It's you get, the red, it's the blood, it's the killing. It's, it's you get all the violence, but you also, more importantly, get the anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. Because what happens to Isaac? Isaac goes to Gerar, and when he's not doing so hot, when he's just there, Abimelech's got no problem with him. Yeah, you're fine. You can be here. That's cool. In fact, you lied to us about your wife, but, you know, whatever, you can stay. Pharaoh kicks Abraham out. He's like, oh, I don't want anything to do with you. You get out of here. Abimelech says, no, you can stick around. But what happens? As soon as Isaac starts doing well, he's financially successful. In what time? In a famine. God is blessing Isaac because Isaac is a righteous man. And he is receiving heavenly blessings. Not, he's not stealing from anybody. He's just being blessed by God. Abimelech can't take that. Oh, I'm sorry. You have, you have more than me? That's not fair. you got to leave. 
And throughout history, this happened to the Jews over and over and over again. They would move to somewhere new. They would start with nothing. They would work diligently. God would bless them. They would become doctors and they would become bankers and they would become successful. And then that town or that country would say, yeah, we don't want you anymore. Get out of here. Or in, or in the end, the Germans said, we're just going to kill you and steal all your stuff. Yeah. So this spirit of anti-Semitism starts here. You see it here. And it's, 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 it's terrifying. It's disgusting. But I think the, the, that there's any blessing in it at all. It's this idea that the people of Israel are constantly being, they're, they're never allowed to be comfortable in the world. Mm-hmm. They, they constantly have to move on. Move and change. And, and keep going to stay separate. Mm-hmm. Um, where now Esau also has a similar experience. Um, is there a hand? Well, it's the same thing that I quoted earlier during the, during the service, that the Jews are our eternal companions. Right. Because you can't wipe them out. They're <laughs> God's people. They're always here, and they're recording what's happened. Right. And with, uh, I thought it was interesting, Yishai Fleischer points out, Esau cries, right? And traditionally, Esau's cry is, is a lament. It's a, it's a mourning. Oh, I've, been, I've, I've lost and I'm so sad. Um, and it, it, even some who say that it's almost like a, not a repentance, but almost like a, that sorrow, it's not a bad sorrow. It's almost like it's, you know, God somehow sees that and kind of feels a sense of pity for, her, for Esau. And so it's like Jacob has to become, has to also lament his own sin in order for God's full blessing to come in. But Ishaq Fleischer took a different position. I thought this was also good. He sees the cry as almost like a, it's almost like a cry of anger. That kind of that 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 that, that you know even you, know, you see the you know, Sylvester Stallone, you know that kind of thing, right? And yeah, so that that um, you see that 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 cry is uh, Ishaq Fleischer compares it to anti-Semitism. He, exactly the story I just say. When is Esau upset? When Jacob is blessed. And that is what you see with anti-Semitism wow. over and over and over again. When the people of Israel aren't doing so good, oh, we feel bad for them. Yeah, we'll give you a country you just got out of the Holocaust. That's a shame. Now, now here they are doing great, and it's like, oh, Israel, worst problem in the world. The whole world is is conflict. There are people killing each other in India because of Israel. I mean, it, they're the whole problem. All of evil can be blamed on Israel, and it's like, uh, okay. They're the only democracy in the Middle East that's really functioning. They're the only ones where all the religions work together just fine, but no, they're the problem in the Middle East. But that's exactly what happens over and over again. It's this, it, it is the spirit of anti-Semitism. It is the spirit of, 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 uh, of Amalek it is it is Hasatan's attitude towards the people of God, and you um, and Baruch Hashem, it doesn't they don't win, but it's something that you have to be you have to realize what's going on out there. So when you see the accusations against people who are Jewish or who happen to be Jewish, well, maybe take, definitely take it with a grain of salt and kind of look and see is it is there really something wrong here, or maybe is it they're just successful and everybody else is jealous, jealous. blessed, jealous. blessed. blessed. All right, they're blessed. Absolutely. It doesn't mean like hard work. But President Trump was responsible for the synagogue shooting. Right, yes. Mm-hmm. It's all his fault. It's all his fault. Um, but he has a Jewish daughter. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, the irony is the man who probably is the most pro-Jewish in our yes. uh, presidential history, he's the one who's driving anti-Semitism. Mm. And then the Democratic Party who picked up two House representatives, one being Palestinian, the other one being Muslim, yeah. stood up, denounced, and bashed Israel. That's right. Right, just a week ago, not even a week ago. It's amazing. And I just don't understand the double standard. Well, <laughs> let's not. Let's just never it's pretend this, it's that this portion. Uh, it's this portion. Yeah, the, the other side is never honest. This <laughs> portion. It's exactly right. But but it, but you see that you see that in the story, and and the consequences are real. I mean, Jacob flees in exile. I mean, Rebecca tells him, "Go away. I'll take a few days. I'll call you back, and everything will be okay." She never sees him again. Never. Yeah, that's one mm-hmm. of my questions. I didn't think she did. Mm-hmm. She dies before he ever makes it back. Yeah, because of and, grief. And you think about it, her, her statement is almost like a prophecy. It's almost like a prophecy about exile. She says, you go away until your brother's anger subsides. And if you think about it in a way, mm-hmm. it almost that feels like that's exactly what happened with, with Esau. So Esau represents Rome. Esau also kind of represents whatever world power, the, the superpower of the world is. It wasn't until the superpowers of the world met in 1948 and decided, you know what, we're okay with Israel. They can have their land back. That's when Israel came back in. So it's in a way, Rebecca is almost making this, this cosmic prophecy about this whole experience. Uh, another cool thing about Rebecca I didn't notice until this week, there are multiple verbs involving Rebecca that are in the present tense. One of them is it Forever says, present. Rebecca yeah. loves Jacob. Not Rebecca loved mm-hmm. Jacob. 
Rebecca loves Jacob. And it's like there's this ongoing forever. The, it's almost like, if you think about Rebecca, as, as a, she is like the spirit of prophecy. The tr- she is truth in the matriarchs. You know, Sarah is strength. You know, uh, uh, Rachel is compassion. She's associated with the, the tears of Rachel. You, there's that connection to her almost being for her children, that, that picture. Rebecca, I think, is, is like the spirit of truth in the matriarchs. She's the one who understands who's going to be in charge between Jacob and Esau. She's the one who tells it like it is. She's the one who, um, uh, uh, she's also prophetic. They talk this idea, Esau talks in his heart, I'm going to kill Jacob. And Rebecca knows? How yeah. does she know? Because yeah. she's just connected. She she's got the spirit from God. She just hears. She knows. She's, she, she's a prophetess. So this spirit of truth, so to speak, loves Jacob always, not just then, but forever. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's this, uh, this idea, it's like as we're talking about anti-Semitism and the struggles that the people of Israel have gone through, you're watching them throughout history, and they just keep winning. They get set back, and they come back again. We had six million Jews massacred during the Holocaust, and now there are over six million Jews voting in the current election in Israel. Mm-hmm. I mean, so you see that over and over again, every time the world tries to destroy God's people, um, God uses that as an opportunity to, uh, to quote from this week's study in study class, to resurrect dry bones. Yeah. And he just keeps doing it over and over and over again. Yeah. And you see this week's star portion. Isaac has to leave the famine. It's really lousy. He goes to Gaza and he makes a hundred times what anybody else thought he could do. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Blessings of God. Morgan? And then, go ahead. Oh, no? No, I didn't have anything to say. Oh, sorry. Um, it was on, it was definitely in my mind, now it's on the tip. So, um, I had two questions. One was, Hashem, isn't he, I know it's kind of off um, the target, but it does talk about the second coming. Isn't he going through, Yeshua and Hashem are coming to the mount. Is that true? In Hashem is going through the Golden Gate, not just Yeshua. Well, I mean, the prophets. It, it depends if on how you're, yeah. you're you're looking at it. I mean, the, the tradition, well, the, this prophecy is the uh, the cloud comes back. The cloud is the representative of, of God, of God's presence, the Shekinah. Um, it comes back, and I think it is in that direction to come back to the temple, because Ezekiel sees the cloud leave. God's had enough. The people have sinned too much. He has he pulls his presence out. But Ezekiel also prophesies that the presence comes back. Um, the last eight chapters. Yeshua's return, or part of his return, they say, um, the or we would say, he steps is down the Mount of Olives. Mount. Okay. And if you look at the Mount of Olives, it's like practically a straight shot to that gate yes. in the temple. You can see it from yes. the Mount of Olives. So, yeah, there's definitely a parallel there. I, I, would, I would be hesitant to ever... Um, uh, bifurcate yeah. Yeshua and God the Father as though somehow we need them both to do the same thing because they are the same. So it's right. like they're they're representations of the same being. But um, but I would say that uh, that there's definitely a parallel there of of God returning to the temple and of Yeshua coming to save his people. In fact, the, the splitting of the Mount of Olives is about rescuing Israel. So that the people of Israel from Jerusalem flee through that valley okay. uh, to get away from the uh, right. the incoming armies. Um, and you uh, and you see that in, in we're reading we're, for those of you who, who don't haven't been listening really cool end times uh, this uh, teaching going on, on Tuesday nights right now uh, is being posted online so if you get a chance look at a Men of Torah on the uh, iTunes really interesting stuff we're talking we've been going through the different prophecies about the times we did Daniel we did Joel now we're in Ezekiel um, and the the the, sto- the pattern in prophecy whether you understand the details or not it's kind of irrelevant the to me, I mean, it's important, but at the same time, the real picture is the pattern. And the pattern yeah. is God will always reward the righteous, God will always punish the wicked, mm-hmm. and God will always save the righteous. And you see that. And so the, the wicked rise up and they threaten the righteous, and it looks like they're going to lose, and it's all over. And God comes in and he rescues the righteous. And he doesn't, and I always love that. I love the way it reads. You don't read it, and it's like, oh, it's really close. We're not sure. You know, you watch the superhero. You watch the superhero movies, and of course, the you know the villains got the hero by the throat. You know, oh, he's about to he's about to kill him, and then all of a sudden, the superhero has some you know vision of his father, and it's like, all oh, right, I I can summon myself. I can be better than this. Now he wins, and it's like <laughs> that's not how it goes in the stories of God. The people of Israel are in big trouble. It's all over. 
and then God just shows up and pfft, they're all gone. They're all dead. With, without even lifting their finger. It's like, you know, Yeshua, it's the, like a the, the Battle of Armageddon, you know, the whole picture, you know, you get the Yeshua's coming down with the horses and all that stuff. So the sword comes out of his mouth. It's like a nuclear bomb. <laughs> they're all gone. Yeah, out, the outcome is not in, ever in doubt. There's no ever. question. Ever in doubt, yeah. So I think as we were reading through the Torah portion and talking about that anti-Semitism, the, the enemy, talking about Edom, you know, Rome, and, and ultimately the, 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 uh, the anti-Semitic hordes in the world, it's like the end result is never in doubt. Amen. They may look like they win, but over and over and over again, they lose. And there's no question. Even though Esau is more powerful, more deceptive, he's a man of the world. He's a man's man. He's probably got all the little, you know, the biker chicks hanging out with him, right? <laughs> Jacob gets the first, the blessing of the firstborn. Jacob gets the blessing from Isaac. He gets the, the right of the, he gets the right of the firstborn from the birthright. He gets a blessing from, from, uh, from Isaac. We see it. We'll see you next week's Torah portion. He gets twelve sons. He gets the blessing from God. He meets God on the mountain uh, in Bethel. The good guy always wins. Because God is on his side. The chosen one always wins. Right. Move to the end of the portion? Absolutely. So, so this is actually an affirmation of, as we saw in the last portion, um, Ishmael. And we all have mixed feelings about Ishmael. This is actually an affirmation that he taught his children, which is why Esau wants to marry his hmm. daughter. So, I mean, it actually is... Ishmael may have gone astray in the past, but he but he returns to the fold, and he actually has a family that is known for righteousness, and that's why Esau, cool faking that? everybody out, right, wants to marry I hadn't his cousin. That. That's a good point. Yeah. That's cool. Or, yeah, good. Yeah, that was the thing about Rebecca being being very straightforward, truthful. Yishai Fleischer just loved her comment right before this. She's like. The daughters of Canaan are killing me. Like if he, if Jacob marries another one of them, just what good is my life even she's for? <laughs> yeah, she rocks. She's pretty cool. So yeah, you see, that's what I love about the patriarchs. We're reading through them. We've gotten through Abraham. We've basically finished the story of Isaac, and now we're moving on to to Jacob. And you see that that God uses different personalities in His people. There's not a right or wrong way to be. There's a right or wrong things to do. And throughout the stories, you see that God can use these different men. Abraham is, he is super, he's the patriarch, right? He's the, he's like the prince, man. He's got re regality about him. He's also very, you know, kind and gracious, hospitable. hospitable. Isaac is strong. Isaac has, fear. there's a power, there's a fear of Isaac. You know, Seven Isaac is, Isaac is the one that knocks the girl off the horse. You know, when she <laughs> sees him, whoa, that's that dude. Isaac's also the man of prayer. Isaac's the man who's who's not a man of many words, but he's a man that's very um, very determined, you know. And you see the same thing with uh, you see the opposite almost like Jacob. Jacob is this innocent kind of um, smooth skinned man, you know. He's pretty easygoing. He's he's a man of books and the tents, um, but God uses him too. And you see the women too. Sarah, he's, she's strong and powerful. She she uh, she she has vision and plan and leading her family. Rebecca is truthful. She says exactly what she what she believes. She doesn't hold anything back, you know. And, and Rachel has got this this passion, this desire. Leah, um, you know, see that the same idea, that motherly side coming from her. And you see in all of these men and women that even though they're different, God uses them all, and He uses them because of the ways that they're different. And so I think that that's a that's a lesson to us as well. That as we study, we really should be so focused on trying to keep His Torah. Because God's going to use us through our personalities, through the way that He's made us, to to do great things. Amen. As long as we can we can filter that through His commandments, then we'll be on His side. Mm. Amen. Beautiful. Final thoughts. Good job, everybody. We hustled through that one. These well, aren't our final thoughts just for now. Yeah, final um. thoughts for now. Um, Mr. Martin, would you close us in prayer? Sure. Father, we, uh, we pray that we would be bad at being bad. <laughs> uh, that we would all always rush uh, to do good, to follow your talk, to love for 
your word and wanting to do the things that you have set forth for us. And as Joshua just indicated, you can work through us to infect other people's lives in that way. We pray, Father, for a, a good week upcoming, that we would uh, be faithful and true in your word. Mm-hmm. We pray these things in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, our risen Savior. Amen. Amen. Amen.